Our text for this morning comes from the letter of Paul to Philemon. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you any, anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it was in November of 2012 when I received this text message, and this text message was from a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen had been attending uh, our church throughout the summer and had been able to get connected with the small group that my wife and I were a part of. Now, Stephen had grown up in the church, but had walked away from Christianity when he reached college. But something had happened in Stephen's life pretty recently that had really brought him to the end of his rope and drew him into a church asking spiritual questions. And by God's grace, uh, Stephen heard the gospel and he believed the gospel and he began attending the church my wife and I were attending regularly. But by the time we got to November, my text message from Stephen read, hey Eric, I just wanted to thank you for encouraging me these past couple of months. But I wanted to let you know that I don't think I'm going to be coming to church anymore. 
So I quickly reached out to Stephen to grab some coffee. And as Stephen and I were sitting in a Starbucks, quietly talking with one another, he shared with me how he still cared very deeply about Jesus and he wanted to grow as a Christian, but he, he felt and couldn't shake this feeling that he didn't belong in our church community and that he didn't really matter. And so instead of trying to overcome these difficulties, Stephen just wanted to give up. He wanted to walk away from church community. You may feel a lot like Stephen, maybe now and maybe you will in the future, that despite your church attendance or your attempts to connect with people around you, you still struggle to understand what it means to be a part of a church. You feel more and more like you don't belong or that you don't matter. And you're tempted to give up on church community and to simply walk away. This passage this morning, and I think just experience in the Christian life will show us that we are not alone in these feelings. That even though you and I know that God has called us to be in fellowship with one another, we see this in places like Hebrews 10, many of us find church community difficult. These difficulties can arise from a myriad of reasons, right? They can arise out of personal differences between you and other people in the congregation. They can arise from an experience of kind of social awkwardness, of not really knowing how to get over that hump and to cultivate friendships. It can come as a result of just chronic busyness, either on your part or on the part of other people that you're trying to connect with. And it can even come through interpersonal conflict, where there is actually quarreling and fights within a church that make fellowship very difficult. This is, in fact, what we see in the letter to Philemon. You see, the letter to Philemon is written by the Apostle Paul. But unlike all of, other, all of Paul's other letters in the New Testament, Philemon is written to a single individual, Philemon. Philemon is this influential member in the church of Colossae. And it says in the letter to Philemon that he was known for being the type of person that was refreshing to the hearts of the saints by the way he served other people. But the reason that Paul wrote a letter to Philemon personally is related to this man whose name is Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave, a bondservant of Philemon, and he had recently run away from Philemon. Onesimus, scholars think, made his way to the region and the city of Rome, and it's there that by God's providence, Onesimus met the Apostle Paul. Onesimus heard the gospel, he believed the gospel, became a Christian, and now the Apostle Paul is not just sending a letter back to Philemon, he is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Now, we'll look at this as we go through the sermon this morning, because there are obviously a lot of really complicated dynamics of Philemon and Onesimus' relationship. But it's not hard to imagine what type of difficulties they would have faced in their fellowship with one another. And yet Paul is confident in this letter that despite all of those difficulties, they can be overcome and fellowship can be encouraged. And this is not just true of Onesimus and Philemon, it is true of you and it is true of me. But what will help us overcome these difficulties that we experience in church community? And the reality is what Philemon reveals is that Paul prays that this thing would happen in verse six. He says, I pray 
that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul is praying that the fellowship that flows from Philemon's faith in Christ might be energized by a fuller knowledge of what Philemon has received from Christ. In other words, deeper fellowship among God's people is generated by a deeper knowledge of the gospel. And so what this means is if you or I want to have a deeper experience of fellowship among one another, then we need to deepen our knowledge of the gospel. Because it's as we deepen our knowledge of the gospel that the gospel actually transforms the way that we see ourselves. And it transforms the way that we see other people. That's where we're headed this morning. But before we go there, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it down to this very day and to, for delivering it to us this morning. We thank you for the challenging dynamics between Onesimus's and Philemon's relationship, a dynamic that gave opportunity for the gospel to be understood at a deeper level. Would you minister to our hearts, Holy Spirit? Would you help us to understand these deeper aspects of how we are changed and how others are changed through what you have done for us? so that our fellowship with one another might be deepened in this church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So before we can dive in to understanding how the gospel actually transforms the way that we see ourselves, we first need to have, I think, a working understanding of what the gospel is. Simply put, I would argue that the gospel is the story of the Bible. It is the news that despite our sinful rebellion against God, that God has graciously made a way through Jesus' life and death and resurrection to redeem his people. He's made a way to give us spiritual life. He's made a way to forgive us of our sin. He's made a way to give us Christ's righteousness and to restore our relationship with him through faith alone. But for many of us, the aspect of the gospel which only seems to matter to us is the forgiveness of our sins. Now, this in and of itself is wonderful and glorious news. But I think Onesimus would look at us today and he would say, there is so much more in Christ that should be enjoyed. Because Onesimus understood that in the gospel, we are given a new identity. I want you to look here at verses 10 and verses 15 and 16. And I want you to notice, especially in verses 15 and 16, how Paul is describing how Onesimus has experienced this transformation through the gospel. He describes Onesimus as no longer a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. You have to remember that up until this point in Onesimus' life, the primary identity that is shaped his understanding of himself, his understanding and relationship to other people was that of a slave. And Paul here in verses 15 and 16 is saying, when Onesimus believed the gospel, he was given a new identity. He was given an identity of son. It's possible that Onesimus understood what the apostle Paul was talking about in Galatians 4, when the apostle Paul said that because of the gospel, you are no longer a slave, 
but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The gospel declares that you are not simply forgiven of your sin through faith in Christ, but that in Christ, you and I are adopted into God's family. And what this means is that we are first and foremost, primarily identified by this identity, first and foremost, as a child of God. Now, this aspect of the gospel is profoundly illustrated when we understand what is actually happening in earthly expressions of adoption. Now, in my mind, I consider the children of my friend Josh and his wife, Jenny. So their children, Haddon and Ellie, were adopted many years ago. But leading up to the adoption of their children, my friend Josh and his wife, Jenny, were foster parents. They had received Haddon and Ellie when they were very young, and they'd had them for several years before they were adopted. And while Ellie and Haddon were loved by Josh and Jenny, they were cared for by Josh and by Jenny for many years. It wasn't until that judge actually declared that Haddon and Ellie were legally adopted by Josh and Jenny that they were able to fully and truly enjoy all the freedoms and all the privileges as, as Josh and Jenny's children. And the fullness of this transformation in Haddon and Ellie's life is really expressed, I think, in a profound way when they actually are issued new birth certificates. And on those new birth certificates, Josh and Jenny are not just practically, but they are formally and legally acknowledged to be Haddon and Ellie's parents. Now that day when Ellie and Haddon were uh, adopted, it was a wonderful milestone in Josh and Jenny's family. But what I think is even more important for us to remember is that despite all the challenges that Haddon and Ellie have experienced since that day when they were adopted into Josh and Jenny's family, it's their adoption by virtue of their adoption that they know for certain that they belong in Josh and Jenny's family. The analogy is important for you to understand because this is true about you in Christ. In Christ, you are not simply a consumer of spiritual goods and services. You are not some spiritual orphan making your way into the world. In Christ, you are counted among the children of God. You are his son. You are his daughter. And you are able to enjoy all the freedoms and all the privileges of that relationship. And what that means is that you not only belong to God as his child, but you also belong here at Grace as a member of the church. No longer do your other identities take priority. By virtue of what Christ has done for you, there is clear and certain proof in your life that you belong. And that no matter what types of challenges you might face or that we might face in our church that would make fellowship difficult, we can know for certain because of the adoption that we have received in Christ that we do belong. But I'm sorry, Onesimus' understanding of the gospel goes even deeper than that because you'll notice if you look at verse 11, Onesimus understands that not only does the gospel give him a new identity, it gives him a new purpose. I want you to look here in verse 11 and I want you just to humor me 
for a split second because I think in verse 11, what we have here might be a confirmed dad joke in scripture. In verse 11, Paul says, formerly he was useless to you, that is Onesimus, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Here's what I mean. The name Onesimus in Greek means useful. So if we read that as punny as it is meant to be, verse 11 says, formerly Philemon, useful, that is Onesimus, was useless to you. But now Onesimus, useful, is indeed useful to you and to me. Now I'm sure that because I've taken the time to actually explain the joke, it's not as funny as it would have been originally, but don't miss Paul's point here. What Paul is pointing out is that at one time, Onesimus received his purpose from Philemon, a purpose that Onesimus did a really bad job, to use that language, at fulfilling. But now, Onesimus has received a new purpose in Christ, a greater purpose, a purpose that's been specifically given to Onesimus from his heavenly father. And it's a work that only Onesimus could fulfill. And I want you to notice here in verse 13 how, the, how Paul is echoing this idea where he talks about wanting Onesimus to stay with him. He's sending Onesimus back. He says he's sending his very heart. And I think Paul understood as Onesimus began to learn what he talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul there writes, we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The one whose life as a slave didn't matter, now in Christ mattered a great deal. And what great news this is for you and what great news this is for me. That in the midst of our difficulties as a church community where fellowship and when fellowship becomes hard, where we feel that we don't matter, we can remember this aspect of the gospel, that in Christ, we are God's workmanship, that you have been created for specific good works, that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, not just in the world, but in our church community. And I think one of the biggest challenges to us fully embracing this is that we allow our feelings, we allow our personal ambitions to define our purpose in life instead of God's will. As Rosaria Butterfield has once said, if you want to discover your purpose in God's story, then you need to step into God's story. And she says stepping into God's story means abandoning that deeply held desire to make meaning of your own lives on your own terms based on your own precious feelings. It's this deeper knowledge of the gospel that enabled Onesimus, don't miss this, to courageously return to Philemon. Don't forget, Onesimus is a runaway slave and in this context, going back to Philemon wasn't going to result in fellowship under normal circumstances. Returning to Philemon was gonna result in punishment and yet Onesimus, who's believing this deeper understanding of the gospel, is willing to go back to his slave owner. 
because he believes and the apostle Paul believes that not only has the gospel transformed Onesimus's understanding of himself, but the gospel should be transforming the way that Philemon sees Onesimus. And this is where we'll go next. But before we do, I want us to consider just for a moment here how the, gospel, or how the Bible talks about the institution of slavery. It has bothered many people, as it should, and they are concerned that the Bible actually speaks in favor of the institution of slavery. Throughout history, this has been used to argue for the institution of slavery. And I want to set those kind of in the center point here and just talk about it for a moment. The first thing that we need to understand about the institution of slavery, especially in the United States, is that the type of slavery that was practiced in the United States is known as chattel slavery. And this kind of slavery, the stealing of people and selling of those people into slavery, is explicitly condemned in God's law. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, listen to what the Lord says about chattel slavery. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. This, as well as the sin of racism, is at the core of the type of slavery that was practiced in the United States. And this should give us pause. It should lead us to lament the sins of our nation's past. It should lead us to want to confess that sin as sin. And it should lead us to want to repent of that sin as a nation in real and tangible ways. But even if we're not looking at the issue of chattel slavery, if we're looking at slavery as it was practiced in the first century, where by and large the type of slavery was more indentured servitude, where people would get into debt, and then in order to work off that debt, they would enslave themselves to different people. I want you guys to notice how the gospel turns the institution of slavery completely on its head. I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul emphasizes this. He says to Philemon, Onesimus is no longer a slave, but a brother. And in Galatians, again, he says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And while there is no place here in Philemon, the letter to Philemon, where the Apostle Paul tells Philemon to set Onesimus free, I want you to recognize that it's the message of the gospel that has and that will continue to compel Christians to not just abandon the institution of slavery, but to oppose it altogether. Because we see that in the gospel, Philemon, this slave owner, is now being asked to recognize that the gospel has not only given his slave a new identity, has not only given his slave a whole new purpose, but that the gospel has given Philemon himself a new kind of family. I want you to notice in verse 3, in verse 10, and in verse 15 and 16, how the apostle Paul is encouraging Philemon to embrace a new view of Onesimus. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our father. He says, my child Onesimus in verse 10, and he even calls Onesimus to Philemon, a beloved brother. Can you sense that? Can you sense how Philemon's relationship through this application of the gospel would have been slowly yet surely being turned upside down? Philemon would have been called to look at Onesimus and say, this is not my slave, this is my 
brother. And what is remarkable about this is that this expression of being brothers in Christ is without exception used in every single letter in the New Testament when talking about how Christians ought to relate to one another. In every single letter in the New Testament, Christians are called to look at one another as children of God and as each other as brothers and sisters. Whether those Christians were Jew or Gentile, whether they were considered culturally civilized or barbaric in the first century, whether that person was a slave or they were free, God's word calls all Christians to see one another as first and foremost brothers and sisters. And this should radically change the way we relate to one another. And I think this is kind of illustrated in a, in a pretty neat and maybe fascinating way. When you think about the tale of Emily Bushnell and Molly Sinner, let me tell you this quick story. So in 2021, an 11-year-old girl by the name of Izzy Bushnell wanted to explore her family tree. Now her mom, Emily, had been adopted from South Korea, and so what Izzy wanted to do to find out more information is she got one of those like 23andMe things that you can get where you spit in a cup and you send it off and they tell you your genetic history, right? So Izzy submits that and when she receives the results of that study, as it were, she discovers some really, really weird matches. So in March, Izzy and her mother, Emily, receive a phone call from a woman whose name is Molly Sinnert. And, and the woman says to them that the site, 23andMe or whatever one they used, had matched Molly as Izzy's mother. And this is weird because Molly has never borne a child before and had no children of her own. And yet Molly had discovered that Izzy and herself shared almost 50% DNA match, which means like you know, speaking of just genetic comp compatibility, is that that means that Molly Sinnert and Emily Bushnell are identical twins. So they dig a little bit deeper into this strange discovery, and what they find out is that Emily and Molly are actually twins. They were born in 1985 in South Korea, and after they were born, they were inexplicably separated and they were taken to different orphanages, and Emily was adopted by a family in Pennsylvania, and Molly was adopted by a family in Florida. Now, it's a fascinating story, but can you imagine how Emily and Molly's relationship would have been transformed by discovering that they had a sibling? That after the shock had worn off of all these details of what had transpired, they were no longer looking at a total stranger. Emily was looking at Molly as a sister. Molly was looking at Emily as a sister. And you can imagine, while I'm sure it was rather complicated, they probably started figuring out how they were going to start relating to one another as siblings. And this analogy, I believe, holds up, dare I say, that this is what we experience each and every Sunday morning. In every genuine Christian community, where we are united to Christ by faith all over the world and right here. It is in Christ that we discover that we are not strangers to one another. We are a spiritual family to one another. This may sound strange, 
I want you to take a moment and look around. Thank you for some of you who actually did that. I want you to consider the thoughts that you have about the people who are present this morning. Are these people, quote, you go to church with? Or are these your brothers and sisters? We don't go to church. We are the church. We are the family of God who has been gathered together by Christ. We are scattered throughout the week, all throughout the greater Rochester area. But nevertheless, we remain united to one another in Christ. And it's when we properly understand this aspect of the gospel, it's when that happens that we will radically change how we think about all the things that go on here at Grace Church, whether it be receiving a prayer request, whether it be the work days that happen on Saturdays, whether it be growth groups or outreach team meetings or kingdom prayer, even our fellowship hour. When you recognize that you are not going to church with strangers, but that you are in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it should radically change the level of affection that you begin to feel for that person. Not only does the gospel give us a new family, though, the gospel also gives us new partners in the mission that God has for us. I want you guys to look at verses 12 through 14, and we'll also spend some time in verse 17. In 12 through 14, I want you to notice the amount of partnership that Paul is modeling and encouraging for Philemon. He says, Philemon, I am sending Onesimus back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep Onesimus with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Do you sense how much Paul respects Philemon? Do you sense how much Paul wants Philemon to know he sees him as a partner in ministry, not just a church attender? I want you to notice here in verse 17 how Paul doubles down on that when talking about Onesimus. He says, Philemon, if you consider me your partner, then you need to receive Onesimus as if you would receive me. This is Paul's point. Everyone in God's family is necessary to God's mission. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he talks about not just understanding one another as members of the same family, but he goes one step further and says, we are not just members of the same family, we are members of the same body. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Do you hear that? The parts of the body of Christ in this church that seem to be the weakest and the most insignificant, you, person who perceives yourself to be weak and insignificant, you are indispensable. Those of you who are deeply involved Consider that you matter very greatly to this congregation. Those weaker members are indispensable. 
Perhaps a way that we can prove this is by asking a very silly question. Who is the most important character in the fellowship of the Lord of the Rings series? Take a minute, think about what your answer is. Who is the most important character in the fellowship of the Lord of the Rings series? Is it Frodo? Is it Aragorn? Is it Gandalf or Boromir? Merry and Pippin? The question is silly. And the reason that the question is silly is that when you read the entirety of the Lord of the Rings story, you recognize that every character, a part of the fellowship in their own way, is indispensable to the success of the mission. Even if the stronger characters at times don't understand this, the success of their mission depends on the strength, not of any one individual, but of their fellowship. Everyone is necessary to God's mission, not just in the church, but in this church. This means that everyone needs to be involved in order for the mission that God has called us to to be actualized. Children need to be involved. Teenagers need to be involved. Those of you who are middle-aged or retired, those of you with special abilities, those of you with special needs, those of you who are rich, those of you who are poor, those of you that are socially skilled and those of you who are socially awkward. If you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, it doesn't matter. Everyone is necessary to God's mission through his church. And it's when we get this, when we get these aspects of the gospel, that is when fellowship with one another will actually change. It's when we understand that in Christ, we have received a whole new identity as children of God, as a new family, as brothers and sisters to one another. It's when we understand that in Christ, we have a whole new purpose for our lives and that God has given us partners to actually be on mission with. It's when we get these aspects of the gospel as our knowledge of the gospel deepens that we will find in our hearts the energy, this generating energy to deepen our fellowship with one another. What we will find is that by God's grace, the strength that you need to overcome difficulties that you might face in our fellowship are actually something that we are capable and wanting to overcome so that we can actually glorify God in our life together, and that we can bear witness to Christ, not simply as individuals, but as a fellowship for the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ, for the ways in which you have called us to yourself out of the world and into a new family. You've called us out of meaninglessness and into a mission that you have prepared for us, for your glory and for our good. Holy Spirit, we thank you for all that you have communicated to us through your word, and we ask that it would be at work in our hearts, that as we go to our fellowship hour, as we meet together tonight for kingdom prayer, as we fellowship with one another during the week, that you be generating in our heart a deeper understanding of the gospel 
And as a result of that, a deeper experience of fellowship with one another. And it's in Jesus' name that we thank you. Amen.